Take your Bible and turn to two different places on either end of your Bible. First of all, Genesis 12 and Hebrews 11. Genesis 12 and Hebrews 11. And while you're turning there, I want to give you a portion of a quote by one of the great theologians of our time. Did you catch that? One of the great theologians of our time. Her name is Miranda Lambert. Said, I know they say you can't go home again. Well, I just had to come back one last time. And ma'am, I know you don't know me from Adam. But these handprints on the front steps are mine. Later she says, I thought if I could touch this place or feel it, this brokenness inside of me might start healing. Out here it's like I'm someone else. I thought that maybe... I could find myself. If I could just come in, I'll swear I'll leave. I won't take anything but a memory from the house that built me. Life is one long classroom experience for us. I've, over this past week, we want to, we, our family has gone through some stuff over the last couple of weeks and we thank you for praying for us. I thank Jerry for Filling in for me last week at a short notice. And um, we've been all over the state of Texas twice. Texas is a big state. I have ingrown shirt tail from being in the car so long. (laughs) But in our traversing of the state twice, we went as far north as you can get, at least in this part of Texas, the Oklahoma line, and then we went as far west as you could get to the New Mexico line and uh, two different funerals within just a few days of each other. And in the process of doing that, I've come back to be be um, more aware of that statement, that life is one long classroom experience. We, we had the chance, as I stood at my brother-in-law's and one of my best friends, one of my brothers, if you will, uh, stood at his funeral. I, I went through some of the things that he taught me in life through 38 years of relationship. And going backwards, it was a good experience for me to be reminded of how important it is that we invest our lives in each other because we are always teaching each other stuff. And as we go through life, the lessons of today build upon the lessons from yesterday. And that was a good reminder for me. And then we came back last Sunday, drove most of the afternoon, well, all afternoon, got here in time to wash a load of clothes Sunday night and repack them and then head out to Odessa on Monday morning. And we had to swing through uh, far west Texas, otherwise known as the Woodlands, and uh, picked up our daughter who wanted to go to the other funeral with us. And because of some of the things we had to do, we made our way north and then across And I use that as an opportunity to show Lauren and for Teresa and I to revisit some of the places that we've lived through the years. And churches that we've served and churches my dad served as I was a kid growing up. And um, places that I lived and went to school. I went to the motherland of Waco. and um, It's amazing if you stop and think about it how life as you live it out just teaches you stuff. 
Or at least you have the opportunity to learn it. We don't always prove to be good students about that kind of stuff, but that's been the reminder for me. And so I start today by just throwing that truth out there. Life is one long classroom experience. And as we begin a new uh, preaching series here on Sunday mornings, as I begin that today at least, uh, we're going to be following Abraham's classroom journey in his life. We'll pick that up in Genesis chapter 12, and we'll just kind of briefly touch on it this morning. I told the early service that uh, we'll probably be in Genesis chapter 12 for, I don't know, eight or nine years, I suppose. So you can probably just cut that page out of your Bible and just bring that page if you want to. But um, we're going to be there for a while. Because Abraham's journey starts in Genesis chapter 12, but it doesn't find its completion really for us as far as Scripture is concerned until we get all the way over into the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 11, where the writer of Hebrews calls out for us some of the names of the great heroes of the faith. And we would call it the Christian faith, but many of the ones that are mentioned in Hebrews are from the Old Testament. Before Christian was even a concept. And Abraham finds his place very notably in Hebrews chapter 11. And so we're going to walk our way through and we're going to kind of piggyback on his classroom journey through life. And in the process of doing that, we're going to find something that that helps us understand that for us, school is in session. And, And that's always going to be the case for us. If we'll just pay attention to what's going on around us, God is always teaching us stuff. Abraham, actually what I really, I think what I'd like to do is to let Abraham's life entice you. Or if necessary, provoke you. To enter into God's school of faith development. Today's message is really personal for me. Because we come now to a series that I really wanted to preach as soon as I became pastor in this church. This is so central to my life and to my life with Teresa and the way we have grown in our own personal faith through the years. That, that it's so much a part of me that I wanted to begin with this, but I knew that there were some things I needed to learn about the church and you needed to learn about me. And I want to tell you something, what we're going to do here today and what we're going to begin to do today is very difficult and yet very basic. There was a time in my life that I reached a point that, uh, you know, I guess just you know, I'll just lay it all out there. You might as well know who you have as a pastor here, right? Um, a number of years ago now, approaching fifteen or twenty years ago, I suppose, I reached a point in my life as a minister and as a Christian where my prayer was this: God, I'm so fed up with Christians and churchians. You know what churchian is, right? I'm so fed up with the game of church. That my prayer to God was, if that's all there is in the Christian life, I want out. I'm not going to do this anymore. If that's all there is, I'm not doing this. I'll just take a run for it. So if there's more to the Christian life than what I have been doing or living, then I need you to show that to me. So before I go another step with that, I want to ask you, how long has it been? Since you prayed, earnestly prayed that God would take you to a new level in your relationship with him. 
I'm convinced that one of the things that happens with us is we just kind of settle into life generally. And as long as things are rocking along all right and we don't have too many bills and too many problems, then we can just kind of take it as it comes. But the reality for us has to be that if Jesus Christ is real, and he is, then he is never, never, never content to let you stay where you are. He is always in the process of pulling you along deeper into the life that he gives. So how long has it been since you asked God to take you to a new level, to to experience something in the Christian life that takes you beyond the norm for you today? When I prayed that prayer, I had no, no clue. I'm careful about praying those anymore, just to be honest with you. I had no clue what God was going to do with it, but it was the heartfelt prayer for me. And God began to show me some things in Scripture, and he put some people in my life that took that normal Christianity that I had been living and pushed it to the side and took me to a place that I didn't even know was possible in my walk with him. I hope that you are fed up enough with where you are that you're willing to go further with God. And maybe you walked in here today and some of you walked in going, I don't even know why I came to church. I don't really want to go to church. And you know, it's all, uh, if that's you today, let me promise you, God has a point of living for you that you cannot believe how intense it is. Here's a truth for us I want you to hang on to as we go through this. And, and today is an introduction into this series that we're going to be doing. And I'm not sure how long it's going to take us, but I'm prepared for it to take us as long as it needs to. Because as a church, that's individually as Christians, but also us as a corporate body, there are some things about the Christian life that we need to get right. Especially as we face the renovation program that we believe God has pushed us to do. So with that in mind, here's a truth I want you to hang on to. Living by faith is fundamental to the Christian life. Now, I'm going to stop a second. We'll get to the rest of it in just a second. But let me make sure that you heard what I just said and what's written there. I did not say living by the, excuse me, living, um, how do I want to say this right? I had it there and now I'm gone. Um, all right, let's pray and go home. Never mind. I did not say living the faith. I said living by faith, and there's all the difference in the world. Now, that's really going to be the, one of the two main things I want you to take from this message today. So here at this time, I'll say it this way. Living by faith, not living the faith, but living by faith is fundamental to the Christian life. It is basic stuff. Too often, though, it is foreign in the lives of Christian people. Now, that sounds like a contradiction, I know. I believe that Satan is so masterful at the way he gets us to think or helps us down the road in thought processes that we might go to anyway that we can actually live out with a a, a point of thinking that we're convinced is right and be missing some of the fundamentals of the whole Christian faith. You should know. I'll tell you now. Don't freak out. I'm not going... TV evangelist on you or anything like that. I'm going to make some clear distinctions from some of the garbage you hear on TV and other places and what we believe Scripture teaches us about living by faith. Here's the basic truth. Living by faith is fundamental to the Christian life, but it's also foreign in the lives of many Christian people. It's basic. It is basic stuff. 
Unfortunately, it's not the norm in most churches. Today, churches are full of Christian people, Christ-professing followers who only have a conception of what a Christian is. They have taken this body of information and they've said, yes, I believe that. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I've asked Him to be my Savior. And then they put a period in their life right there and no growth ever occurs after that. Churches are full of that kind of Christian. And I'm not necessarily trying to knock that as much as I am trying to say there is a level beyond that. That's not even normal Christianity, even though it's the norm for us. So here's a statement I got a number of years ago. I want you to reflect on it a little bit. We're going to come back and we'll kind of pull on it a little bit from time to time as we work through this. Here's the statement. As I read it to you, let me just say, this is not, the statement I'm about to read, this is not the way we normally sell Christianity. Now, I use the word sell Christianity because too many churches just try to sell it like it's a commodity. And we go out and we go to people and we say to them, you need Jesus Christ in your life. And if you don't have Christ in your life, you will die. And how do we finish that out? You'll go to hell. Now, while they're driving, we'll tell them to go there. But we sell Christianity by saying, you don't have to go to hell. You know what? There's truth in that. That's what makes it such a dangerous place for us to stop. There is truth in that. Here's the statement. I don't know who made it. I'd love to take credit for it. But I won't do that because it's probably in a book somewhere. The greatest gift that we receive when we accept Christ is the capacity to know God. I want you to think about that for a second. Just chew on it. Normally, we would say, in the way we approach evangelism is, you know, telling people that they need Jesus Christ. The greatest thing that you get when you come to know Christ is eternal life. That's how we say it. But maybe our words in that case, maybe they reveal a little bit about the shallow Christianity that seems to be the norm in America today. Christianity, accepting Christ as Savior, is the critical step in life. You hear me say that? If you live your whole life and you never come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, you have missed what life is about and you will go to hell. That's biblical. But so many Christian people come to the point of decision and they put a period there and the rest of their lives is just religious after that. But what we get when we accept Jesus Christ is, is in, and he comes in and the Holy Spirit inhabits us. We have the ability then to know God. Not know about God. Churches are full of people who know about God. Seminaries are full of professors who know about God. But to know God. That experiential kind of give and take. We can call it relationship. We can call it fellowship. We can call it communion with God. We can call it any number of things. But the picture I want you to get from this is when we come to accept Christ as our Savior, we then begin this ongoing, ever-deepening relationship communion with a holy God that we could not have before. 
So how is it with you and God today, right now? How long has it been since God broke into the norm of your everyday life and said, you and me, we're going places today? How long has it been since God grabbed a hold of you and said, come willingly or come forcibly, you're coming with me? Jesus took those disciples. I I think of those fishermen first. Walked by the seashore and said, hey, you guys follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. He didn't say, come to the shore and meet me and then get back in your own boat and do your own thing. He said, come with me. And everything changed for them. How is it with you and God this morning? The greatest gift we receive when we accept Christ is the capacity to know God. And knowing God is the prerequisite for living by faith. I'm trying to throw concept out here this morning. I know that some of those things are going to hover out there and you're going to go, I'm not sure I get what you're saying. Just stay tuned and hang on because we're going to walk with Abraham through his life and some of this stuff is just going to bubble to the surface and it'll become one of those things that will say, oh man, I get that now. Knowing God is the prerequisite to living by faith. When I went through that period where I was going, I just don't know about this Christianity stuff, and God started teaching me some things, I I came up with this saying that I'm going to show you here in just a second. Okay, I'm going to show you because it's kind of packed. It's one of those things that takes a little bit of effort to unpack it so that you can get what it says. Uh, But let me give you the background on it. As I came... To that, I had good biblical knowledge. I had grown up in a pastor's home. I had one of those Sunday school kids, you know, gone through all the stuff that church could do. God called me to, to the ministry, and so I went off to college. I majored in Bible, minored in religious education, went to seminary, got a master's degree, and all. And I was in the church serving with all of that background, and I was empty. And I had good knowledge, but I didn't have good experience. With God. It's not to say that I didn't have experiences with God. It was just kind of like one of those things. It was part of the cultural Christianity of America, or what used to be in America. And so God started showing me some things about faith and what it means to really trust God. Not to just know about Him, but to plug in and live with Him and walk with Him and work with Him and let Him work you over. And as I was doing that, I started putting some things together in my mind. So here's the saying, and it's, I want to start at the end of it, okay? Are you willing to do anything that God comes to you and says, hey, I want you to do this? If, for instance, God said to us as a church, I want you to take on a project and it could cost as much as $2 million, would you be willing to be the one, as Ron said, to sign that particular piece of paper with the bank? If God said to you in your own personal experience, you know what, I want you to be my minister. So tomorrow, Monday morning, I want you to go to work, I want you to resign your job, and I want you to come home, tell your wife, guys, hey, pack up the house because we're going to move somewhere and I'm going to go to school because I'm going to be a minister. If God said that to you in church today, how many of you would think that it was bad pizza? You know, that's exactly what God did with me. Do do you have enough trust in God to do whatever he says? I got to tell you, 
I struggled with that, especially as I was going through this transition in my life and I was, I was hearing things from God. I go, I don't know if I want to do that or not. And the reason I wasn't sure if I wanted to do it or not is because I'm just like you. And that is, I like to have a nice, neat plan for the future. Then I just got to work the plan. I don't have to think as hard if I can get that plan in place. And if I'm putting a plan in place, you can be sure that I'm thinking through all of the factors so that my plan doesn't blow up on me. The problem with that is God won't endorse your plan. He has a plan. And for us as Christian people, we're called to let him be God, not to usurp his position. So if God said that to you today, just quit your job and go off and do that. Well, how would you respond to that? So that's what I was working to. I was going, okay. So I started backing it up. So now let me. Spencer's got the saying for you here. Do you know God well enough to trust him? Well, the only way you're going to know God is if you walk with God. So here's the saying. Do you walk with God enough to know God enough to trust God enough to be 100% obedient regardless of the cost? If I just throw the can you be obedient out there, most of us can pick or choose. But when you back it up, in order to be 100% obedient, regardless of what the cost is, you better be sure that God's not going to leave you hanging somewhere. The only way you're going to know that is if you've been walking with him enough to know him so well, to know that he's not ever going to abandon you or sell you down the river or expect you to do something that he's not going to carry you through. You agree with that? <laughs> I didn't expect to get a whole lot of answers because that's now going, well, hold on a minute, preacher. You, you mean God might tell me to do something? He sure might. Matter of fact, there's a good chance he's already done that. Well, let's take another step here because ultimately what we just got through talking about, that whole thing right there, I give you exhibit A, which is Abraham. Well, it's actually at this point in Genesis 12, it's Abram. His name will change, and when God changes his name, it's a significant thing. But when we start with him in Genesis chapter 12, it's just Abram. Now, before we get into his life, and I told you we're just going to touch on Genesis 12 before it's all said and done. But I, I want to ask you this question. Have you ever stopped to consider what kind of life, what kind of person uh, catches God's eye? Almost hate to say it that way because our theology is good. We, we know that God's omnipresent. He's everywhere and He's omniscient. He knows everything. And, and so it's not necessarily that, you know, God is necessarily impressed with any one person over another, except that we find Hebrews 11 seems to be exactly that He's impressed with some people. We're going to look at chapter 11 in Hebrews. We find this list of people, mostly from the Old Testament, that have taken their stand with God. And it's what we call the roll call of the faithful. It's the hall of faith, like hall of fame kind of thing. And we find these individuals through the Old Testament primarily who rise above the rest of the crowd. And God seems to take note of them. What kind of person does God take note of? Years ago, there was a contemporary Christian music group who had a song. And here's some of their lyrics. 
made an impression on me at the time. It continues to be that kind of idea that plays in my head on a regular basis. I want to be a man that you, that is God, would write about a thousand years from now. Think about that. How's your life with God? Are you just kind of ordinary, run-of-the-mill person? Most of us would be humble enough that we go, you know, I don't need to be some superstar or anything like that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about somebody who walks so closely with God that a thousand years from now God would say, you know what, that person, you see, that's what I'm talking about. I want to be a man you would write about a thousand years from now that they could sing about, a servant of choice in whom you found favor, a man who heard your voice. Let me put that in a different context for you. We've had a lot of death these days. Stood, officiated the service of my brother-in-law. Sat with the family at the service for my wife's stepfather. What do you want on your tombstone? I'm not suggesting that we put it on there today. You may not be through living yet. But if your life was over today, and we were to write something on your tombstone that captured your life and what you were about, what would we write about you? I'm going to tell you mine, but you can't steal it. It's already taken, okay? What I want on my tombstone, except I'm going to be cremated. I'm not going to have a tombstone. I'll save some money. Always saving money, you know. What I would want on mine was he walked with God and he taught others to do the same thing. How do you want God to see you? Hebrews 11, and especially Hebrews 11.6, gives us some clarification on the kind of life that God notices, if you will. Hebrews 11.6, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. You want to live a life that would cause God to say, that's what I'm talking about right there. You cannot do that unless you are living by faith. That is a huge statement for nice, mediocre American Christianity. And without faith... It is impossible to please God. If it's so fundamental to the Christian life, don't you think we ought to really understand what it means so that we can apply ourselves to that? The whole book of Hebrews is written regarding the superiority of Christ. And the writer of Hebrews just works his way through systematically showing that Christ is superior to the old way of Jewish religion. He's superior to Moses. He's superior to the law. He's superior to angels. All of those mechanisms that were part of the way that Jewish people thought about God and their relationship with him. The writer of Hebrews comes in and he emphasizes time and time again, that's all okay, but Jesus knocks it all out of the park. There is no equal to Jesus Christ. He is the Son of God in the flesh, superior to all of that religious stuff. And when he comes to chapter 11 now, he's making the turn. He's going to that part of their lives that says, if Jesus is superior to all of that religious stuff, and he is, 
if he is superior, then that has to make a difference in your life. That's what he's saying. And so he comes to this verse, and he says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. You know, a lot of people like Francis Chan. I'm not a big Francis Chan fan, to be honest with you, uh, for a couple of reasons, but whatever. Um, But he said something that I think hits at this point. Francis Chan said this, I'm tired of people calling themselves followers of Jesus, yet looking and living nothing like Jesus. What an indictment for Christian people. Living by faith is one of those pieces of normal, natural, if you will, Christianity, fundamental to who we are, and it has to come through us and into our feet. As we walk with Jesus, we begin to look like Jesus, if you don't mind me saying it that way. If you're not doing it by faith, according to the way these people are presented to us in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, then we're missing something. It's only fair that we look at this chapter 11 verse 6 and recognize that it comes in a context that pulls in chapter 11 verse 5. So let me go back and read for you verse 5. By faith, Enoch, let me just stop for a second. If I ask you to write a paragraph of what you know about Enoch... From the Old Testament, you would have a hard time writing a whole uh, paragraph. Because Enoch's whole point of reference in the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 5 verse 24, Enoch walked with God and he was no more because God took him. What if people could say that about me or about you? That our communion with God was so intense That finally, at some point, God said, you know what? Just come on up here. (laughs) Take me today, Lord. So, it's in that context. Enoch walked with God. Let me go ahead and read the whole verse from from Genesis 5 so that you get where he fits it in here. Genesis 5. And verse 24 says, Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. And then chapter 11 of Hebrews, verse 5, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so the writer of Hebrews ratchets the whole discussion up and says, if you're not walking with God, you can't be pleasing to God. That doesn't sound like American Christianity to me. Because in American Christianity, we've fallen into this. It's, it's a fair use of the term. It's just a misuse of the term here. We look at faith as if it's this body of knowledge. It's this factual information. And we listen to it. God had a son whose name was Jesus Christ. He was born of a virgin. He lived a perfect life, became the perfect sacrifice for sin, and that sacrifice occurred on the cross. He was buried and resurrected and went back to heaven to be with the Father until he comes back to get his own. All of that is true. That's the heart of the Christian faith. It's a body of information. And as I said earlier, churches are full of people who hear that and they have said, check, I agree with that. 
And then a period happens on their life there and that's all they ever get from God in this life. This faith that we're talking about here, that we will find in this guy named Abraham, is more than this piece of information that he mentally checked off. It's an experience. It's, it's based in trust. We have faith in all parts of our lives. The old, tired, worn out example of faith is, has to do with you sitting down in these chairs. I'm not going to go through that one. Let me give you one that's a little more down to earth. If you leave here today, like most people do, you're going to crawl into a car, whether you're driving or riding, you're going to get into a car, you're going to get out on the highways, you're going to go one way or the other, north or south. Now you can go east or west here, but you're just not going to go very far. You're going to go north or south, and before long, you will get to a traffic signal. And as you approach that signal and the light is green, you keep trucking, right? And if there are people coming from the other directions, by faith, you're going to keep going through the intersection because you trust them to be law-abiding citizens about the red light that they have. And if you are wrong... What happens? By the way, it might be smart to have a little wavering faith with people and the traffic laws. But you see, when that comes to the Christian life, the reality is that God has specific input for us as his people. And he says to you, This is my plan for your life. This is where I want you to go. By faith, you have to make a choice whether you will do what he said or not. That's the 100% obedient I was talking about. And it may be something big like quitting your job and going off to school to be a minister, but it might be something different like uh, I want you to go to this college instead of that one. I hate to tell you this, okay, but... God doesn't necessarily want everybody to go to LSU. I know, it's hard to understand. He wants them to go to Baylor. It's clear. How do you know? Okay, if you're a parent and you have a kid who's going to eventually grow up and leave your house, hope, I hope, I hope. If you have that, how do you help your child decide where to go to school? How do you help your children decide which friends to have? You know, my mother, my, my mother, my mother, mm-mm. all of this death that's been occurring in our family lately, I've had numerous discussions with my mom, and it became obvious to me lately that she really didn't like some of my friends. Imagine that. And she prayed that God would show us the error of our choices with the people we were hanging out with. You believe God cares enough about those kind of details in your life? You better believe he does. You see, living by faith requires, first of all, that we accept that one premise. If God really does care about those pieces of your life, and even smaller ones than that, I could tell you how he dealt with, and maybe at some point I will, how he dealt with me about spending $20. Does God care about what you do at $20? Well, for me, he did. But you see, part of that, what drives the whole thing, and this is what separates us off from some of the garbage that's out there, some of the heresy, I believe, 
that really is secular humanism that's wrapped up in religious gar- uh, garb. That is, this is not if you can dream it up and believe it hard enough, then God's going to give you what you want. That's just crazy. That's not biblical at all. All prayer begins in the heart of God. And the all of faith living has its genesis in God saying to his people, here's my plan for you. And he will give you stuff to do that will stretch you beyond where you are today. You want a good example of that? Now go with me to Genesis. Finally, it's 1245 and we're, no it's not. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Do you notice where that starts? That does not start. By the way, that happens with Abram in a land that most of us today would know is controlled by ISIS. And God says to this Middle Eastern Wandering kind of guy. Hey, I want you to get up and leave. Now my question would be, um, first of all, was it the bad goat meat? Was it God speaking to me? What was it? Okay, if you want me to go, where do I go? You know what God's answer was? You saw that, right? I'll tell you when you get there. Hello, I need directions. I just drove across the state of Texas. I grew up in Texas. I still got lost in Midland, Texas. How do you get lost in, I'll tell you because Teresa was going to tell you sooner or later anyway. How do you get lost in Midland, Texas? You can see for four days out there. I need directions, God. Don't just tell me to get up and go. Tell me where to go. Now, you don't tell me where to go. I know what some of you are thinking. And God says, you just go and I'll tell you when you get there. Faith begins in the heart of God. As he gives his directives to his children and leaves them with a choice. Will I follow or will I not? And so now we're back to that statement that I said, do you walk with God enough to know God enough to trust God enough to be obedient regardless of what he tells you to do? More to say in all of this and I'm out of time. Verse 8 of Hebrews 11 says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. We're doing this series today and over the coming weeks because as a church we find ourselves smack dab in the middle of a God-sized situation. I'm not even talking about the renovation, to be honest with you. I'm talking about the calling that God has given us to be salt and light in a dark community. How do we do that? Do we just rely on our own ingenuity and our own insights? we got smart people in this church. Let's just get all of the smart people together and they'll tell us how to do it. And we'll miss God if we do that. Because God says, I don't always do things the way... You think they ought to be done. It is necessary for us to so walk with God and so listen for the voice of God that when his slightest whisper is given, it sounds like a peal of thunder in our spirits. Without faith, 
it is impossible to please God. As it relates to the renovation, we believe that God has said to us, do this. Now we just have to pay for it. And I told you a couple of weeks ago, I'm not going to get up here and harp on money all the time. I'm not going to do that. We didn't hire some consulting company to come in here and raise the money for us. And the reason we didn't, because as pastor, i got to tell you, I believe that if God is in this, he will move in the hearts of his people. That's you. He will move in the hearts of his people to take care of the cost of this project. Your responsibility is to get with him and figure out what your part is. And I'm going to ask you to be praying about that as a family. Teresa and I have been doing that. We've been talking about it. We haven't quite decided yet. I'll tell you this. It'll probably be somewhere less than $1,000 a day. I'm pretty sure it'll be less than that. But there is a part for me, for you. And in that, as you pray about it and God begins to lead you into it, It very well could be that God will take you to a place that you see no way that that could happen. That's kind of like God saying, I'll tell you when you get there. If God's in it, he obligates himself to resource it. Our job is to be faithful and to live in faith, by faith, not just in a building project but in every element of our lives. So where's God in your life these days? What are you believing God for? And if God doesn't come through, you're sunk. That's the place I would love to take us as we go through this series. Let's pray. And as you heads are bowed and eyes closed, here's the invitation for you today. Somewhere in all of this, There's a message from God for you. If you're here and you don't have the life that Jesus Christ gives to you, you don't know God because you don't know Christ, that's where you start. And it is the place to start. He will give you life that is incredible. But you have to receive it. And I'd love to talk to you about that. In this invitation time, you're invited to just come down. Aaron will be down front. Matter of fact, Aaron's coming on now. You can just... Get up and make your way down. If you want to do that, he's here. We'll talk with you. But also, it's very possible. Many of us are here today and we've accepted Christ as our Savior, but that's where the period came in our experience with him. We've not taken the next step. Right now, God is saying to you, you know, there's more. Why don't you go? Why don't you go to a new level? your relationship with me why don't you father we come to this time and we desperately need you we pray that you would take these words and breathe life into them in our spirits give us a divine dissatisfaction with mealy mouthed typical cultural Christianity. Give us a fresh experience with a risen Lord. 
change us for your glory is our prayer in Jesus' name.